0: You can catch up on all the latest Alliance Audio episodes wherever you find podcasts, or you can download the Spotify app on your device for free. Hi guys, welcome back to episode 3 of Alliance Audio. I've gotten a few really nice voice messages from you guys, which I really appreciate, and I even have uh, one or two followers, I think, so that's great. Today I do not have... A drink on hand but I do have some chocolate cake which I'm hoping has some water in it otherwise my throat will hurt a bit when I'm reading speaking of reading I should start in a second first I'm gonna have some cake it's a bit dry actually very nice though. okie dokie Let's get reading chapter three will and won't harry potter was snoring loudly he had been sitting in a chair beside his bedroom window for the best part of three hours staring out at the darkening street and had finally fallen asleep with the one side of his face pressed against the cold window pane his glasses askew and his mouth wide open the misty fog his breath had left on the window sparkled in the orange glare of the street lamp outside, and the artificial light drained his face of all colour so that he looked ghostly beneath the shock of untidy black hair. The room was strewn with various possessions and a good smattering of rubbish. owl feathers, apple cores, and sweet wrappers littered on the floor. A number of spellbooks lay higgledy-piggledy among the tangled robes on his bed, and a mess of newspapers sat in a puddle of light on his desk. The headline of one blared. Harry Potter, the Chosen One? Rumours continued to fly about about the mysterious recent disturbance at the Ministry of Magic, during which he who must not be named was cited once more. We're not allowed to talk about it. Don't ask me anything, said one agitated Obliviator, who refused to give his name as he left the Ministry last night. Nevertheless, highly paced sources within the ministry have confirmed that the disturbance centred on the fabled hall of prophecy. Though ministry spokeswizards have hitherto refused to even confirm the existence of such a place, a growing number of the wizarding community believe that the Death Eaters now serving sentences in ask for trespass, an attempted theft, were attempting to steal a prophecy. The nature of that prophecy is unknown. Although speculation is rife that it concerns Harry Potter, the only person ever known to have survived the killing curse, and was also known to have been at the ministry on the night in question. Some are going so far as to call Harry Potter the Chosen One, believing that the prophecy names him as the only one who will be able to rid he who must not be named of us all. The current whereabouts of the prophecy, if it exists, are unknown, although... Cited page 2, column 5. A second news p- newspaper lay beside the die first. This one bore die headline. Scrimgeour succeeds fudge. Most of this front page was taken up with a large black and white picture of man with a lying light mane of thick hair and a rather ravaged face. The picture was moving. The man was waving at the ceiling. Rufus Scrimgeour, previously head of... The Aura Office in the Department of Magical Law Enforcement has succeeded Cornelius Fudge as Minister of, of Magic. The appointment has largely been greeted with enthusiasm by the wizarding community. The rumors of a rift between the new minister and Albus Dumbledore, newly reinstated chief warlock of the Wizengamot, surfaced within hours of Scrymgell taking place. Scrymgell's representatives admitted that he had not met with Dumbledore at once upon taking possession of the top job, but refused to comment on the topics under discussion. Abbas Dumbledore is known to, cited page 3, column 2. To the left of this paper sat another, which had been folded so that a story bearing the title, Ministry Guarantees Student Safety, was visible. Newly appointed Minister of Magic Rufus Scrimgeour spoke today of the tough measures taken by his ministry to ensure the safety of students returning to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry this autumn. For obvious reasons, the Ministry will not be going into detail about its stringent new security plans, said the Minister, although an insider confirmed that measures include defensive spells and charms, a complex array of c- counter- c- countercurses, and a small task force of auras dedicated solely to the protection of Hogwarts School most seem reassured by the new minister's tough stand on student safety said miss augusta Longbottom. my grandson neville a good friend of harry potter's incidentally who fought the death eaters alongside him at the ministry in june and but the rest of the story was obscured by the large birdcage standing on top of it inside it was a magnificent snowy owl her amber eyes surfaced the room imperiously her head swivelling occasionally, to gaze at her snoring master. Once or twice she clicked her beak impatiently, but Harry was too deeply asleep to hear her. A large trunk stood in the very middle of the room. Its lid was open, it, look, it looked expectant, yet it was almost empty, but for a registered due of old underwear, sweets, empty ink bottles, and broken quills that coated the very bottom. Nearby, On the floor, a purple leaflet emblazoned with the words Issued on behalf of the Ministry of Magic Protecting your home and family against the dark forces The Wisden community is currently under threat from an organisation calling itself the Death Eaters Observing the following simple security guidelines will help protect you, your family and your home from attack 1. You are advised not to leave the house alone 2. Particular care should be taken during the hours of darkness, wherever possible, arrange to complete journeys before the night has fallen. 3. Review the security arrangements around your house, making sure that all family members are aware of emergency measures such as shield and disillusionment charms and, in the case of underage family members, sidelong apparition. 4. Agree on security questions with close friends and family, so as to detect Death Eaters masquerading as others by use of the Polyjuice Potion. See page 2. 5. Should you feel that a family member, colleague, friend or neighbour is acting in a strange manner, contact the Magical Law Enforcement Squad at once. They may have been put under the Imperious Curse. See page 4. 6. Should the dark mark appear over any dwelling place or other building... Do not enter, but contact the Aura office immediately. 7. Unconfirmed sightings suggest that the Death Eaters may now be using Inferi. See page 10. Any sighting of an inferior or counter with same should be reported to the Ministry immediately. Harry grunted in his sleep and his face slid down the window an inch or so, making his glasses still more lopsided, but he did not wake up. An alarm clock, repaired by Harry several years ago, ticked loudly on the sill, showing one minute to eleven. Beside it, held in place by Harry's relaxed hand, was a piece of parchment covered in thin, slanting writing. Harry had read this letter so often since its arrival three days ago that, although it had been delivered in a tightly folded scroll, it now lay quite flat. Dear Harry, if it is convenient to you, I shall call at Number 4 Private Drive this coming Friday at 11pm to escort you to the Borough, where you have been invited to spend the remainder of your school holidays. If you are agreeable, I should be glad of your assistance in a matter of which I hope to attend on the way to the Borough. I shall explain this more fully when I see you. Kindly send your answer by return of this hour. Hoping to see you this Friday, I am most yours sincerely, Albert Dumbledore. Though he already knew it by heart, Harry had been stealing glances at this missive every few minutes since seven o'clock this evening, when he had first taken up his position beside his bedroom window, which had a, a reasonable view of both ends of Privet Drive. He knew it was pointless to keep reading Dumbledore's words. Harry had sent back his yes with the delivering owl as requested, and all he could do now was wait. Either Dumbledore was going to come, or he was not. But Harry had not packed, It just seemed too good to be true that he was going to be rescued from the Dursleys after a mere fortnight of their company. He could not shrug off the feeling that something was going to go wrong. His reply to Dumbledore's letter might have gone astray. Dumbledore could be prevented from collecting him. The letter might turn out to not be from Dumbledore at all, but a trick or a joke or trap. Harry had not been able to face packing and then being let down and having to unpack again. The only gesture he earned made to the possibility of a journey, was to shut his owl Hedwig, safely in her cage. The minute hand on the alarm clock reached the number twelve, and at that precise moment, the street lamp outside the window went out. Harry awoke as though the sudden darkness were an alarm, hastily straightening his glasses and unsticking his cheek from the glass. He pressed his nose against the window instead, and squinted down at the pavement. A tall figure in a long, billowing cloak was walking up the garden path. Harry jumped as though he had received an electric shock, knocked over his chair, and started snatching anything and everything within reach from the floor and throwing it into the trunk. Then, as he lobbed a set of robes, two spellbooks, and a packet of clasps across the room, the doorbell rang. Downstairs in the living room, his uncle Vernon shouted, "'Who the blazes is calling at this time of night?' Harry froze with a brass telescope in one hand and a pair of trainers in the other. He had completely forgotten to warn the Dursleys that Dumbledore might be coming. Feeling both panicky and mid-close to laughter, he clambered over the trunk and wrenched open his bedroom door in time to hear a deep voice say, Good evening. You must be Mr. Dursley. I dare say Harry has told you I would be coming for him. Harry ran downstairs two at a time coming to an abrupt halt several steps from the bottom, as long experience had taught him to remain out of arm's reach of his uncle whenever possible. There in the do- doorway stood a tall, thin man with waist-length silver hair and beard. Half-mean spectacles were perched on his crooked nose, and he was wearing a long black travelling cloak and a pointed hat. Vernon Dursley, whose moustache was quite as bushy as Dumbledore's, though black, and who was and who was wearing a puce-dressing gown, was staring at the visitor, though he could not believe his tiny eyes. Judging by your look of stunned disbelief, Harry did not warn you that I was coming, said Dumbledore pleasantly. (coughs) However, let us assume that you have invited me warmly into your house. It is unwise to linger over long doorsteps in these troubled times. He stepped smartly over the threshold and closed the front door behind him. It has been a long time since my last visit, said Dumbledore, peering down his crooked nose at Uncle Vernon. I must say, your apothangus is flourishing. Vernon Dursley said nothing at all. Harry did not doubt that speech would return to him, and very soon, the vein pulsing in his uncle's temple was reaching the danger point, but something about Dumbledore seemed to have robbed him temporarily of breath. It might have been the blatant wizardness of his appearance, but it might, too, have been that even Uncle Vernon could sense that that here was a man whom it would would be very difficult to bully. "'Ah, good good evening, Harry,' said Dumbledore, looking up at him through his half-moon glasses with the most satisfied expression. "'Excellent, excellent!' These words seemed to rouse Uncle Vernon. It was clear that, as far as he was concerned, any man who could look at Harry and say excellent was a man whom he could never see eye to eye. "'I don't mean to be rude,' he began, in a tone that threatened rudeness in every syllable. "'Yet, sadly, accidental rudeness occurs alarmingly often,' Dumbledore finished the sentence gravely. "'Best to say nothing at all, my dear man. Ah, this must be Petunia.' The kitchen door had opened, and there stood Harry's aunt, wearing rubber gloves and a housecoat over her nightdress, clearly halfway through her usual pre-bedtime wipe-down of all the kitchen surfaces. Her rather horsey face registered nothing but shock. "'Albus Dumbledore,' said Dumbledore, when Uncle Vernon failed to effect an introduction. "'We have corresponded, of course,' Harry thought this, an odd way of reminding Aunt Petunia that he had once sent her an exploding letter, but Aunt Petunia did not challenge the term. "'And this must be your son, Dudley.' Dudley had, at that moment, peered round the living room door, his large, blonde head, rising out of the stripy collar of his pyjamas, looked oddly disembodied, his mouth gaping in astonishment and fear. Dumbledore waited a moment or two, apparently to see whether any of the Dursleys were going to say anything. But as the silence stretched on, he smiled. Shall we assume that you have invited me into your sitting room? Dudley scrambled out of the way as Dumbledore passed him. Harry, still clutching the telescope and trainers, jumped the last few stairs and followed Dumbledore, who had settled himself in the armchair nearest the fire, and was taking in the surroundings with an expression of benign interest. He looked quite extraordinarily out of place. Aunt. "'Aren't we leaving, sir?' Harry asked anxiously. "'Yes, indeed we are, but there are a few matters we need to discuss first, said Dumbledore. "'And I would prefer not to do so in the open. "'We shall trespass upon your aunt and uncle's hospitality only a little longer.' "'You will, will you?' Vernon Dursley had entered the room, "'Petunia at his shoulder and Dudley skulking behind them both. "'Yes,' said Dumbledore simply. "'I shall.' He drew his wand so rapidly that Harry barely saw it. With a casual flick, the sofa zoomed, the sofa zoomed forward and knocked the knees out from under all three of the Dursleys, so that they collapsed upon it in a heap. Another flick of the wand, and the sofa zoomed back to its original position. "We may as well be comfortable," said Dumbledore pleasantly, as he replaced his wand in his pocket. Harry saw that his hand was blackened and shriveled. It looked as though flesh had been burnt away. Sir, what happened to your... Later, Harry, said Dumbledore. Please sit down. Harry took the remaining armchair, choosing not to look at the Dursleys, who seemed stunned into silence. I would assume that you were going to offer me a refreshment, Dumbledore said to Uncle Vernon, but the evidence so far suggests that that would be optimistic to the point of foolishness. A third twitch of the wand, and a dusty bottle, and five glasses appeared in air. The bottle tipped and poured a generous measure of honey-coloured liquid into each of the glasses, which then floated to each person in the room. Madame Marta's finest oak matured mead, said Dumbledore, raising his glass to Harry, who caught hold of his own and sipped. He had never tasted anything like it before, but enjoyed it immensely. The Dursleys... After quick, scared looks at one another, tried to ignore their glasses completely, a difficult feat, as they were nudging them gently on the sides of their heads. Harry could not suppress a suspicion that Dumbledore was rather enjoying himself. Well, Harry, said Dumbledore, turning toward him, a difficulty has arisen, which I hope you will be able to solve for us. By us, I mean the Order of the Phoenix. But first of all, I must tell you that Sirius's will was discovered a week ago, and that he left you everything he owned. Over on the sofa, Uncle Vernon's head turned, but Harry did not look at him, nor could he think of anything left to say except, oh, right. This is, in the main, fairly straightforward, Dumbledore went on. You had a reasonable amount of gold to your account at Gringotts, and you inherited all of Sirius's personal possessions, the slightly problematic part of the legacy. His godfather's dead, said Uncle Vernon loudly from the sofa. Dumbledore and Harry both turned to look at him. The glass of mead was now knocking quite insistently on the side of Vernon's head. He attempted to beat it away. He's dead, his godfather. Yes, said Dumbledore. He did not ask Harry why he had not confided in the Dursleys. Our problem, he continued Harry, as if there had been no interruption, is that Sirius also left you number 12 Grimland Place. "'He's left a house!' said Uncle Vernon greedily, his small eyes narrowing, but nobody answered him. "'You can keep using it as headquarters,' said Harry. "'I don't care. You can have it. I don't really want it.' Harry never wanted to set foot in Number 12 Grimlon Place again, if he could help it. He had thought he would be haunted forever by the memory of Sirius prowling in its dark, musty rooms alone, imprisoned within the place he had wanted so desperately to leave. "'That is generous,' said Dumbledore. "'We have, however, vacated the building temporarily.' "'Why?' "'Well,' said Dumbledore, ignoring the mutterings of Uncle Vernon, was now being rapped smartly over the head by the persistent glass of mead. "'Black family tradition decreed that the house was handled down the direct line, "'the next male with the name of Black. "'Sirius was the very last of the line, as his younger brother Regulus predecessed him.' and they were both childless. While his will makes it perfectly plain that he wants you to have the house, it is nevertheless possible that some spell or enchantment has been set upon the place to ensure that it cannot be owned by anyone other than a pure blood A vivid image of the shrieking, spitting portrait of Sirius's mother that hung in the hall of Number 12 Grimland Place flashed into Harry's mind. I bet that has, he said. Quite, said Dumbledore. And if such an enchantment exists, the ownership of the house is most likely to pass the eldest of Sirius's living relatives, which would mean his cousin, Bellatrix Lestrange. Without realising what he was doing, Harry sprang to his feet, the telescope and trainers in his hand rolled across the floor. Bellatrix Lestrange, Sirius's killer, inherit his house? No, he said. Well, obviously we would prefer that she didn't get it. Either, said Dumbledore calmly. The situation is fraught with complications. We we do not know whether the enchantments we ourselves have placed upon it, for example, making it unplotable, will hold now that ownership has passed from Sirius's hands. It might be that Bellatrix will arrive on the doorstep at any moment. Naturally, we had to move out until such time as we have clarified the position. But how are you going to find out if I am allowed to own it? Fortunately, said Dumbledore, there is a simple test. He placed his empty glass on a small black table beside his chair, but before he could do anything else, Uncle Vernon shouted, Will you get these ruddy things off us? Harry looked round. All three of the Dursleys were cowering with their arms over their heads as their glasses bounced up and down on their skulls, their contents flying everywhere. Oh, I'm so sorry, said Dumbledore politely, and he raised his wand again. All three glasses vanished. But it would have been better manners to drink it, you know. It looked as though Uncle Vernon was bursting with any number of unpleasant retorts, but he merely shrank, shrank back into the cushions with Aunt Petunia and Dudley and said nothing, keeping his small piggy eyes on Dumbledore's wand. You see, Dumbledore said, turning back to Harry, and again speaking as though Uncle Vernon had not uttered. And if you indeed inherited the house, you also have inherited... He flicked his wand for a fifth time. There was loud crack, and a house elf apparated, with a snout for a nose, giant bat's ears, and, and enormous bloodshot eyes, crouching on the dusty shag carpet and covered in grimy rags. Aunt Petunia let out a hair-raising shriek. Nothing this filthy had entered this... Nothing this filthy had entered at her house in living memory. Dudley drew his large, bare pink feet off the floor, and sat with them raised almost above his head, as though the creature might run up his pyjama trousers, and Uncle Vernon bellowed. What the hell is that? Creature finished Dumbledore. Creature won't, Creature won't, Creature won't, croaked the house elf, quite as loudly as Uncle Vernon, stamping his long, loud feet and pulling his ears creature belongs to miss bellatrix oh yes creature belongs to the blacks creature wants his new mistress creature won't go to the potter brat creature won't 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 as you can see harry said dumbledore loudly over creatures continued croaks of won't 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 and creature is showing a certain reluctance to pass into your ownership i don't care said harry again looking with disgust at the writhing stamping house elf i don't want him "'Won't, won't, won't, won't!' "'You will prefer him to pass into the ownership of Bellatrix Lestrange, "'bearing in mind that he has lived at the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix for the past year.' "'Won't, won't, won't, won't!' Harry stared at Dumbledore. "'He knew that creature could not be permitted to go and live with Bellatrix Lestrange, "'but the idea of owning him, of having responsibility for the creature that had betrayed Sirius, was pungent.' ''Give him an order,'' said Dumbledore. ''If he has passed into your ownership, he will have to obey. If not, we shall have to think of some other means of keeping him from his rightful mistress.'' ''Won't, won't, won't, won't!'' Creature's voice had risen to a scream. Harry could think of nothing to say except, ''Creature, shut up!'' It looked for a moment as though Creature was going to choke. He grabbed his throat, his mouth still working furiously, his eyes bulging. After a few seconds of frantic gulping, he threw himself face forward onto the carpet, Umperunia whimpered, and beat the floor with his hands and feet, giving himself over to a violent but entirely silent tantrum. All that simplifies matters, said Dumbledore cheerfully. It means that Sirius knew what he was doing. You are the rightful owner of number twelve Grimlong Place and of Creature. Do I ''Do I have to keep him with me?'' Harry asked, aghast, as as Creature thrashed around at his feet. ''Not if you don't want to,'' said Dumbledore. ''If I might make a suggestion, you could send him to Hogwarts and to work in the kitchen there. In that way, the other house-elves could keep an eye on him.'' ''Yeah,'' said Harry in relief. ''Yeah, I'll do that. ''Uh, Creature, I want you to go to Hogwarts and work in the kitchens there with the other house-elves.'' Creature, who was now flying flat on his back with his arms and legs in the air, gave Harry one upside-down look of deepest loathing and, with another crack, vanished. Good, said Dumbledore. There was also the matter of the hippogriff, Buckbeak. Hagrid has been looking after him since Sirius died, but Buckbeak is yours now, so if you would prefer to make different arrangements... No, said Harry at once, he can stay with Hagrid. I think Buckbeak would prefer that. Hagrid will be delighted, said Dumbledore, smiling. He was thrilled to see Buckbeak again. Incidentally, we have decided, in the interests of Buckbeak's safety, to restrain him with the wings for the time being, though I doubt the Ministry would ever guess he is the hypocrite they once sentenced to death. Now, Harry, is your trunk packed? Um, Doubtful that I would turn up, Dumbledore suggested shrewdly. "'I'll just go and uh, finish off,' said Harry hastily, hurrying to pick up his fallen telescope and trainers. It took him a little over ten minutes to track everything down that he needed. At last, he had managed to extract his invisibility cloak from under his bed, screwed the top back of, of, on his jar of colour-change ink, and forced the lid of his trunk shut on his cauldron. Then, heaving his trunk in one hand and holding Hedwig's cage in the other, he made his way back downstairs he was disappointed to discover that dumbledore was not waiting in the hall which meant that he had returned to the living room nobody was talking dumbledore was humming quietly apparently quite at his ease but the atmosphere was thicker than cold custard and harry did not dare look at the dursleys as he said professor i'm ready now good said dumbledore just one last thing then and he turned to speak to the dursleys once more as you will no doubt be aware, Harry comes of age in a li- in a year's time. No, said Aunt Petunia, speaking for the first time since Dumbledore's arrival. I'm sorry, said Dumbledore politely. No, he doesn't. He's a month younger than Dudley, and Dudley doesn't turn 18 until the year after next. Ah, said Dumbledore pleasantly. But in the wizarding world, we come of age at 17, Uncle Vernon muttered, preposterous. But Dumbledore ignored him. Now. As you already know, the wizard called Lord Voldemort has returned to this country. The wizarding community is currently in a state of open warfare. Harry, whom Lord Voldemort has already attempted to kill on a number of occasions, is in even greater danger now now than the day when I left him upon your doorstep 15 years ago, with a letter explaining about his parents' murder, and expressing the hope that you would care for him as though he were your own. Dumbledore paused. And although his voice remained light and calm, he gave no obvious sign of anger. Harry felt a kind of chill emerging from him, and noticed that the Dursleys drew very slightly close together. You did not do as I asked. You have never treated Harry as a son. He has known nothing but neglect and often cruelty at your hands. The best that can be said is that he has at least escaped the appalling damage you have inflicted upon the unfortunate boy sitting between you. Both Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon looked round instinctively, as though expecting to see someone other than Dudley squeeze between them. Us! Mistreat Dutters! Would you? began Uncle Vernon furiously, but Dumbledore raised his finger for a silence, a silence which fell as though he had struck Uncle Vernon dumb. The magic I evoked fifteen years ago means that Harry has powerful protection while he can still call this house home. However miserable that he has been here, however unwelcome, however badly treated, you have at least grudgingly allowed him house room. This magic will cease to operate the moment that Harry turns 17. In other words, at the moment he becomes a man. I ask only this, that you allow Harry to return once more to this house before his 17th birthday, which will ensure The protection continues until that time. None of the Dursleys said anything. Dudley was frowning slightly, as though he was still trying to work out when he had ever been mistreated. Uncle Vernon looked as though something was stuck in his throat. Aunt Petunia, however, was oddly flushed. Well, Harry, time for us to be off, said Dumbledore at last, standing up and straightening his long black cloak. "'Until we meet again,' he said to the Dursleys, "'who looked as though the moment could wait forever "'as far as they were concerned, "'and after doffing his hat, he swept from the room. "'Bye,' said Harry hastily to the Dursleys, "'and followed Dumbledore, who paused beside Harry's trunk,